What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we finish our look at the Apostle Paul. After Easter, we took some time to explore the stories of Paul from the book of Acts. This is a book of the Bible that starts with the ascension of Jesus up into heaven and continues with some of the most dramatic events in the life of the disciples. It's essentially a history book that helps us understand why these followers of Jesus were so committed to this new way of life. There was the conversion of Paul, knocked from his horse and blinded, then healed by the prayers of Ananias. Uh, We saw how the missionary journeys of Paul were a work to both heal the body and to heal the soul. And last week, we took a look at how much Paul was willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. He willingly took an awful beating to help spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of his suffering was beyond his control, though, and still he was able to praise God and draw others to Christ. It's a powerful witness and an incredible example for us. Now, today we look one last time at the book of Acts and the final day of Paul free from prison uh, as we memorialize soldiers this weekend and remember those in our church who have given so much. I want you to be thinking of what kind of memorial the apostle Paul was looking for. What did he value in his final days? Uh, Joe is going to read for us from Acts chapter 21. Uh, There was a prophecy that Paul would be bound if he traveled to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for Jesus. Despite knowing what is to come, he goes anyways. He has been collecting money for Jerusalem for a long time, knowing that there will be a famine soon. He wants to help, and he knows this money will feed many people in tough times. So he does this good thing, but is met with a tough response. They tell him, look, Paul, the religious leaders here think you are leading people away from the law of God. They are angry with you. You have to go to the temple to go through the purification process. Pay for some of our people who are taking their Nazarite vows and prove that you keep God's laws. And Paul agrees. He is going into the lion's den here, surrounding himself with these angry religious leaders, following the instructions of the other apostles. Let's hear the story of Paul's final day of freedom. This is Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 36. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, who had seen him in the temple, stirred up the crowd. They seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously in Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all of the city was aroused, and the people rushed together, They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were trying to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately, he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. 
He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered, them, he ordered him to be brought back to the barracks. When Paul came to the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. And from Joshua chapter four, verses five through seven, Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, help us to be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts today, and let our lives be a living memorial to you, this day and forever. Amen. When we think of Memorial Day, we often think of those who have fought and died to end a threat from another country. Uh, I think fondly of my grandfather who fought in World War II as a submariner in the Pacific Ocean. He helped to defend the U.S. from imperial threats. Many of us could share similar stories of family and friends that have fought and died to protect their country, to defend their loved ones. But the military is about so much more than just one nation against another. So many are working to help improve the lives of people all over the world. A Sergeant Dennis Weichel is one example. He was a Rhode Island National Guardsman and was riding along in a convoy in eastern Afghanistan when some children were spotted on the road ahead. These little ones were picking up shell casings lying in the road. The casings were recycled for money in Afghanistan, so Weichel and some other soldiers got out of their vehicles to get them out of the way. The children were moved to the side, but an Afghan girl darted back onto the road to pick up some more casings just as an armored truck was moving through. Weichel spotted the girl and quickly rushed toward her to get her out of the path of the truck. He succeeded, but not before he was hit himself. The girl was safe, but Weichel died of his injuries. He was just 29 years old. Another soldier said of him, he would have done it for anybody. That was the way he was. He would give you the shirt off his back if he needed it. He was just that type of guy. We remember not just soldiers and loved ones, but those who were selfless, who gave everything for the benefit of others. I imagine that kind of selflessness resonates with all of us here. What a beautiful act, giving one's life so that another may live. And I would also think many of us say, I want to be like that too. I want to help others and live and die for the benefit of this world. Although I'm sure most of us are saying, well, let's let that dying part be as far down the road as possible. We all die, but let's not have it happen too soon, shall we? 
Knowing that about us, what makes a soldier who is so young, who has his whole life ahead of him, jump in front of a truck to save a little girl's life? My brother joined the Navy when I was just 13 years old. Even though I was young, I was close to my oldest brother. I remember him taking me around town in his Ford Shelby listening to loud music. My brother was good to me even when I was just a silly tween. Uh, that summer, he entered boot camp, and for two months straight, we didn't see him. He was out in Chicago learning to be a soldier, learning a new set of values. The rules of boot camp are very different from ordinary life. That first day, seeing my brother, I asked him how it was and what he learned, and he told me, he said, Brian, if you ever go to boot camp, and they ask you if you are a bowler, your answer is absolutely not. Because if you say yes, they are going to make you scrub the toilet bowls. Uh, but I also learned uh, how he was taught to put his unit first. He learned how his life mattered in the context of others. If he didn't follow orders, he was putting his unit at risk, and maybe even the lives of many others. Following the command of your superior was more important than your own perspective, your own view of the situation. In a world that seems so fractured, this idea is more important than ever. If we keep fighting for our own individual perspective, we will inevitably sacrifice the lives and well-being of others. What's more important, me or us together? The military teaches us that the answer is emphatically us together. And part of what makes the military so effective is that this value is drilled into every recruit. They train and practice every single day, submitting one's own will to that of their commander. It can feel so unnatural to those of us that emphasize individual freedom, but that's how you bring about a greater good. You submit your will to that of a superior. You exercise the muscle of submission. You practice sacrifice so that the regular small acts of giving can prepare you for that one big moment where life and death is on the line. This is actually ancient wisdom that goes back to Aristotle. We are born with some virtues, but we have to exercise and practice to grow in these virtues. We get it right when we hit what's called the golden mean. Not too little and not too much, but just the right amount of submission, the right amount of sacrifice uh, and, uh, and giving for the good of others. Aquinas, a medieval Christian philosopher, said, moral virtues observe the mean. And he meant by that that if we are reckless, that's an extreme and we are wrong. If we are cowards, we are wrong in the other direction and won't stand strong when it's needed. We need to observe the mean, the middle ground, which is to be courageous, not recklessly throwing our lives away for no reason and not holding back scared of what others might think of us. Courage is the golden mean. 
That's exactly what we see with the Apostle Paul. We heard a few weeks ago how he spent 10 years training and growing with a vibrant Christian community. So when he begins to travel going around the empire to tell others about Jesus, he has this muscle under control. His reflex is not to cower in fear or to run away. No, he is the ultra-rare five-star admiral when it comes to courage. He is surrounded by those who would accuse him of leading people away from God, and a near riot breaks out. You'd think his safety would be the main priority, but his training for a decade and two more with missionary work has prepared him for this moment to be neither reckless nor cowardly. The crowd wants him arrested for supposedly violating the temple of God in Jerusalem. This temple was the site of some terrible events in the past. The religious people were so committed to this place, when a Roman soldier did something that offended the people, there was a, a, a total riot. It's estimated that about 10,000 people were trampled to death because of it. Another time, a soldier burned a Jewish law scroll, and the Roman authorities executed the soldier to prevent a, a riot from breaking out. So now that the Apostle Paul is accused of being, uh, bringing a Gentile, a non-Jewish person who was barred from entering the temple into that space, there's fear of rioting again. The commander rushes down with his men to find out what's going on. There is so much chaos and accusations flying left and right that he brings Paul out of the temple toward the military barracks that would have been right next door. If you keep reading in Acts, you'll see the rest of the story, but as Paul's life is threatened, he speaks in Greek to the commander, and the commander is surprised. Paul knows Greek, so he's educated, and after explaining that he is a Jew from an important Roman city, he asks the commander if he can go back to the rioting crowd to speak to them. He wants to go back to the rioting crowd. He is so committed to the Lord, he will put his life in danger to tell the people one more time about Jesus. He is putting his training into practice. He is sacrificing for the good of others so people can know the grace of God in Jesus. So he goes back. He tells them about Jesus, about his conversion, how God sent him to preach even to those who were not Jewish. And it doesn't exactly go well. They start shouting and a near riot breaks out again. So Paul is finally brought into the barracks. They are going to whip him. But I think maybe Paul has matured some since the story we heard last week about him getting whipped. Maybe he's just older and he knows his body won't heal like it did when he was younger. It's like when my boys ask me to play some football. I mean, sure, I want to play, but then I pull a muscle and I regret every life choice I've ever made. Paul is maybe a little less reckless than he was in his younger years, and he says he is a Roman citizen, which gives him the right not to be whipped. He then gets a chance to tell his story to the council of religious leaders. They are divided on what they think of Paul's story, so Paul is transferred to the governor. He is given another chance to tell his story of conversion. From there, he has the right to go to the emperor to tell his story there. He is transferred to Rome and goes through another shipwreck in his life. He helps save the lives of the hundreds of people on board and converts more and more, even the governor of the island uh, where they were shipwrecked. Then in Rome, he tells this story again, pointing the rulers in the very center of the empire 
toward Jesus. What we don't hear in the book of Acts is the end of Paul's life. If you do a little research, you can find what is likely to be the rest of the story. Paul remains in prison in Rome, free to preach and and to meet with his friends, but under house arrest. Apparently, the emperor Nero wanted a new palace. Instead of forcing people out, which would have been very unpopular, he hired thugs to start a fire, which spread so quickly and for so long about two-thirds of Rome was destroyed. The fire lasted for nine days. Almost 900,000 people were left homeless. And when the rebuilding took place, instead of homes, it was a palace. All these things were terribly unpopular. So to distract from his awful policies, the story is that Nero decided to blame the Christians and have them executed. We heard just before Easter about the Apostle Peter's execution. Paul's was much the same. He was in the same Roman prison, prison, then transferred before meeting with the judge, and then executed. The legend is that when he died, three springs of water bubbled up where his body touched the ground. The church, after it became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire, built beautiful churches on top of the last locations of Paul. And the place where he is likely buried is the Basilica of St. Paul, a fabulous building. This is a memorial to the apostle. This is the way to remember a hero of the Christian faith who helped grow Christianity and chart a course for the future of the church. I have to admit, I've often struggled with the things Paul said and did. But this journey we've been on has helped put him back in his context for me. He helped us see that Jesus was not just for the ethnically Jewish. Jesus did not place the burden of the Torah law on all people. The Apostle Paul was courageous in preaching Jesus for all people, regardless of their heritage, regardless of their observance of the Jewish code. Jesus is for everyone. And it is in Paul's preaching, even to the point of death, that we are able to see this clearly. A beautiful building as a memorial seems like the least we could do to honor him. And that impulse is still with us today. I think of the memorials we have around Grace United Methodist Church. When I first came to this church, I walked through the building and grounds trying to become familiar with the facility as quickly as possible, and I couldn't help but notice the plaques all over the place. Outside, many trees are marked with names. Down the hallways are plaques for Sunday school and scholarships and pastors who got their start in this church. There's a bench remembering a loved member, another for a million-dollar donation to the church. Each plaque is a memorial to the good and faithful work of people in this church. And I look forward to hearing more of those stories as I spend more time here at Grace. But today I'd like to close with a focus on one particular set of memorials in the church, those in the cremorial garden in the middle of the church's buildings. When the trustees who take care of the building and grounds here met, we had a discussion about the two large cremorial banks and how they were nearly full. We had to buy a new one so that people could continue to have uh, the ashes of their loved ones placed in the garden. 
quickly we realized we had a problem though. The bank is much larger than the gate that goes into the garden. I bet you've never thought about that problem before, have you? We talked about forklifts and cranes until Jim had a great idea of how to bring it in a different way. I'm glad we can have a space like that for loved ones connected to our church. It means so much to so many here at Grace. I've even heard people say they will never leave this church because their family is buried here. Grace is forever in your hearts. I think especially of, of Gay. She tragically lost her daughter Jennifer a few years ago, and her daughter's final resting place is here in the Cremorial Garden. I had a chance to speak with Gay this week, and she told me some of her feelings, how her daughter was born, baptized, and confirmed here. She was part of Vacation Bible School, even when in a, a little stroller, and she joined the youth group. When Jennifer was a little older, she had children, and they were born and baptized here too. Gay said how awful it is for a parent to lose a child that it is the worst thing anyone could ever imagine. All she wanted was to have her child close to her, to know that she is safe and happy. But she also told me how much that garden is a blessing. When she is here in church, she feels like her daughter is right there with her. Even just a few months ago, Gay said she heard a voice. It said, Mom, and that it was the voice of her daughter, Jennifer. And though it was a little scary for her, it was also an assurance that she is there. Jennifer lives in us as we remember her, as we recall her life and honor her by living as God would have us. No memorial is built because a person is perfect. Not even the Apostle Paul was always right. But like the people of God marching into the promised land, the memorial is really more about what God has done and can do through all of us. We can build up our virtues until we find the sweet spot, the golden mean. But even when we fall short, the grace of God is there, calling us to remember those who have sacrificed for others and for us to do the same. Even in death, we find a gain, as the Apostle Paul says, because no matter what, if we live, we work for Christ. If we die, we find ourselves forever united with Christ. All things were created for Christ, and so our memorials are just another way to honor Christ, who has blessed us with loved ones in our lives. This Memorial Day, May you remember not just those who have given so much, but may you be inspired to help others see that even in pain, even in dying, there is gain in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.